I'm um, pleased to be back in this position with you. The last time I was up here on this stage was Labor Day weekend, and on that Sunday, my job was to summarize the last uh, portion of the, the last sub-series we were in, which was a clear call to the fullness of Christ. And so uh, this time I have the same job, and that is to summarize the last eight weeks that we've been together talking about a clear call to the body of Christ. So if you were here or if you watched it later, you'll remember that uh, I opened with a very true story that um, when I was born, I was named, uh, my name was Anthony Stephen Stewart. And my sister, who was 10 years old at the time, her name is Judy, um, bless her heart, she said to my parents, you can't name him Anthony Stephen Stewart because uh, his initials would would spell something out that you probably don't want monogrammed on his, on his luggage. And so they changed my name. Before I left the hospital, my name was changed to Stephen Anthony Stewart. And so uh, I want to say thank you to the many of you that slid into my DMs with, with pictures um, illustrating what my monogram would have looked like on several things. Uh, I enjoyed getting those. So I brought them with me today, and I'll be calling you out by name as I show them. Uh, so the first one, obviously, were the towels, and I appreciate those. That's good. I told you that if I, w- I kind of wish they'd stuck with it because I would have I had my initials embroidered on every towel in my house, and then I would have thrown a party just to see what people did with them, uh, to see if they, they knew how to use them. Uh, but this one is a big no-no. I'm not doing this next one. I don't see the need for it to be on bottles of water. I don't think anybody wants a bottle of water with that, uh, with that monogram on it. I, I thought this one was kind of nice. It's sort of slick. The next one was, uh, you know, people who have them on nice shirts have their monogram embroidered on the cuff. Uh, I just thought if I ever got a stain on it, people are going to make the wrong assumption about what happened there. And so that's no good. And, and then the last one, No. No, I'm not putting my head on that uh, at night to, to do that. Gosh, I appreciate the creativity that exists in the body, uh, in this one especially. My job today is to give a 30,000-foot flyover kind of summary view of this last sub-series. Uh, I call it sub-series because it's all part of this series called Clear Call. And this one is about a clear call to the body of Christ. So in so doing, I see two major themes that emerged in the last eight weeks. One theme is about accountability, and I'll come back to that in just a few minutes. And the other theme that I see arising out of the last eight weeks is about the body being the body. So the first theme emerged in, breast, in, um, in messages by Brandon and uh, Jordan and Butch, and the last... Uh, theme was about the body being the body, and that arose out of testimonies that we heard from uh, Jason Beard and from Shane. I'm going to leave Shane's image and last name out of this because of the sensitivity of what his mission work is all about, and and as well from uh, from Tanya Wright, uh, the video about her testimony, and I'll talk about those in just a minute. So 
You'll remember that we've been in this series called A Clear Call, a big, big series called A Clear Call, which we've discussed why we're here. Why are we Connection Church? Why do we come together, meet together as Connection Church? What is this body? What does this body do? What is it for? And that's what this has really been all about. So you've gotten accustomed to a few images by now. I know you've seen these, but let's walk through them if you don't mind just a moment as a summary. So the first thing that I want to call your attention to is a phrase that I had us all repeat the last time that I was up here with you. And so if you don't mind, let's put that phrase on the screen. And I'll just have, if we could, can we say it together again? Uh, We'll all start together. Let's go now. God is at work all around me, and he invites me to play a part in it. That's what I want you to get from these, is that, you know, God is calling all of us to be a part of what he's doing in the world, and we all get an opportunity to take part in that. That's what we got from those testimonies. But Cracks can emerge in the foundation of who we are as as a church, not in who Jesus is, but in who we drift to become. And we want to try to correct that drift, and that's been the purpose of this message series. So we've been using this verse at the beginning of all these messages in Ephesians 2.22. It's on the screen over your head. You become accustomed to this, that we are being built together. We're being built together into something that God works through, into something that God uh, works through as a body to affect the world. We're going to get into that more specifically in just a few moments. We learn that in these testimonies from Jason and Shane and Tanya, that God works through the whole body in amazing ways to impact the world. And so we've got this purpose, and this purpose is to fill and renew the earth with people who are reconciled with God through Jesus. And to that end, we've got these two goals, and those two goals are, uh, and I'll switch them for now, that we move from this model of dependency. I'll show you that picture in a minute. You've seen it. It's the blue and gray one that we move away from this model of dependency where we are dependent upon a few paid professional Christians to stand in front of us and tell us what we should be doing, to tell us the ministry opportunities that we have. You know, hey, you can come feed people, put meals in these clamshells and hand them out. Hey, we've got this nighttime thing we're doing. You guys can come help us do it. Those are all extremely valuable, but we don't need to depend on a paid professional Christian to tell us what to do. We can seek God out and say, God, where are you at work around me? We can join him in that. But for that to happen, we have to at least become, start becoming self-feeding meat-eating, spiritually mature Christians ourselves, right? That's those two goals. On the next screen are these diagrams you've become used to that illustrate these two models. The one to your left is the one where just a few people carry all the weight of planning ministry programs and opportunities for other people to do. And that's not going to get anywhere because it puts all the weight on just a few people to live under this weight of, well, aren't you the paid professional Christians that are supposed to, you know, you're the ones that are really supposed to look like Christians. And the rest of us, we get off on a pass because really we don't have any responsibility other than to just kind of come to church. We all know that's not true. A more accurate depiction is the one on your right, which is built upon the foundation of Jesus, but with a lot of us equipping 
each other, strengthening each other, in unity with each other, so that we can all do our part. And isn't that the testimonies that we've been hearing? We heard it this morning from Daphne. We saw it in the baptistry. We heard it from Jason and Shane and Tanya. We saw that throughout this series. By the way, isn't it pretty incredible for that for the last um, four weeks that we've begun a service together? We've begun it with uh, um, the waters in that baptistry being stirred. Isn't that fantastic? That's great. That's awesome to just see that happen as the fruit of all this kind of comes together. So that's what this has been all about. Um, sometimes churches drift. We start as one, and we kind of naturally drift to the other. And that happens. It's an innocent thing. We don't intend it to be that way. And so that's what we mean by these four cracks. And you've gotten used to this image as well. Brandon's made it very clear the cracks aren't in who Jesus is. The cracks are in what our dependency upon him is. And these cracks emerge. And last time I was with you, I told you, I don't see these as four independent cracks. I see them as one long crack with four segments. And that segment starts with just having a clear call to follow him. And we can't be full of him until we're following him. And so once we follow him, we can become full of of who Jesus is in our lives. And really, until we're pursuing fullness in Christ. Uh, we're pretty unplugged from the body of Christ. And, but once we start to become mature and we start to grow up in him, we can then experience life in the body of Christ. And when everybody's experiencing life being the body, then we can realize his mission in the world. So in my mind, uh, this is all one kind of canyon that emerges. And when it does, the way you fill it is you go back to the beginning and you start filling in from square one. That's uh, what this baptistry is all about. These are people who are declaring their clear call to follow Christ. And hopefully what will emerge from that is their understanding of a clear call to grow into maturity in him and in fullness in him, strengthened by a body around them as we all are living out Christ's purpose and mission in the world. See, I see all these as related. Now, I realize that maybe you've been perceiving, hey, Steve, that's great. I've been seeing these images for a long lot of time. And you have. This is, this is a lot. And because, you know, maybe a lot of weeks kind of go between the times we change these, these subtopics, they might get lost. The point might get lost. And so I want you to know, I've been pouring over all uh, eight of the messages that have come since the last time I talked to you. I've been doing that all week. And I want you to know that they fit together amazingly. And so it's changed my mind that each week I come, I'm not going to treat that like an independent week that I'm here. I'm going to start listening for, so what, where did, you know, where did this take me last week? Where did, you know, what was I doing all week with that? And where is this going to take me in the next week? And I'm going to start seeing this as an entire unit, especially as we move into this last series about realizing a clear call to Christ's mission, right? I'm going to listen with a different set of ears and, and that's made an impact on me. So let's hit these two themes together. Uh, Theme one is accountability for the body. That's the first theme that arose. That arose in these messages we've been listening to by 
um, by Mr. Butch and by Jordan and by Brandon. And then the, the second theme are in these testimonies. And that theme is being the body. So let me see if I can unpack that, that first one. In the first message in this series, Jordan Thigpen came out and used this example of the greeting that Paul gave to this special group of people. They were the church at Ephesus from where we get the book of Ephesians, the, the Bible, New Testament book of Ephesians. And that is a letter to that church by Paul. And Paul opens that letter by addressing to whom it is, it, it is for. And he writes to the saints and believers. And Jordan masterfully pulls this out and says, well, who is that? And, and, and we all kind of agreed at that point that, well, that's, you know, that's Christians. And he said, yeah, it's us. We are saints and believers. It's, it's us. It's not a letter to just a few people. It's not a letter to just professionals. It's not a letter to just pastors. It's a letter to us. And he went through that. And as he went through that, he told us what his goal was. And, and he made this statement. And I want to show it to you. I think I can show it to you up on the screen. It says that he made, I love how he put this. He said, we come together to rehearse how we will put God's wisdom on display. He told us throughout his message, this is our goal. He said, my goal for being with you this morning is to show you the reason why we come together. And that's one of the best investments of our time. We come together to rehearse how we will put God's wisdom on display. I love the meat in that statement. See, to rehearse... How we put God's wisdom on display means, first of all, we got to deal with what is God's wisdom. And when we consider what God's wisdom is, we realize that his wisdom is what Brandon's been calling the last few weeks, truth. So if his wisdom is truth, and it is juxtaposed against the truth and wisdom that I get all day, every day, from Instagram, Facebook, Snapchat, and all the meme websites about spirituality and grabbing the world by the tail, I understand that I'm in a position of tension, right? That's not wisdom at all. In fact, it's all that stuff that makes people miserable, Brandon pointed out. I mean, it brings on more anxiety. It brings on more depression. It brings on more comparison with the Joneses. God's truth is very different than that. So Jordan said, well, the first thing is, get, let's get truth. That's what God's wisdom is. And then we need to rehearse it. Now, when I rehearse something through my mind, it means I go over it over and over and over and over again. And when I rehearse something with my body, it means I do it over and over and over again. And so here's what Jordan essentially said. That we need to get in our mind over and over and over again what God's wisdom is. We do that in these, in these services through God's word, through testimonies, through listening to people. And we also do it in the lyrics of the things that we sing. And we also do it with our bodies. We do it with our bodies when we're worshiping together. Now here's, I'm going to say something. It's a little, uh, well, it reminds me of a few things that I'm working on. And it's this. If I can't worship freely in a room where everyone in here is going to be pretty cool with that, right? 
No one's going to be throwing rocks at me. No one's going to be laughing at me. No one's going to put me on the front page of the paper and say, you know, dude worships Jesus and he's weird. If I can't worship freely in a room that's friendly to it, then how in the world am I going to be free outside of here? Right? How in the world am I going to hold tension on displaying the wisdom of God outside of here? It starts in here together. So he told us about the accountability for being together. And Butch McKenzie came out. Butch McKenzie came out and he talked about our accountability for love and unity. And he used the book of Ezekiel. And he used this example, the book of Ezekiel, where God said he, he scanned the land and he was looking for one man who would stand in the gap. And he talked about what that means to stand in the gap, to resist the temptation, to resist the urge toward division, and instead to pray for and do our part for unity in the church. And to, above all things, love each other in a powerful, world-shaking way. And that was the point of his message. And he even, I don't know if you caught this or not. I don't even know if he intended it or not. But maybe just led by God's Spirit, this is the way it worked out. He even started the message by saying, hey, while I get my stuff settled up here, you, this is what he said, you guys get up and hug each other. He said, hug each other. And so, uh, first of all, I want you to know that whenever somebody with an accent uh, tells me anything, I tend to believe them more than I do folks that sound like I do. I don't know why that is, but I feel like somehow they're saying something from God because they have an accent, especially Butch. He has such commanding accent. And I would try to imitate it for you, uh, but I, I can't. I tried all night. I tried to practice it. I couldn't get it down. But believe me, if I was proud of it in any way, I'd do it in here, right here in front of you. But the other thing about Butch is Butch is a big guy. I don't know how many of you have ever walked up to him, but he, when he's on the stage, you don't get that, that sense of how big he is. Like, I'm 6'5", and you don't think I am. But here, he's big. He's a big guy. And he has these hands that are um, the size of the Shekinah glory of God. They're gigantic hands. They're these sizes, the size of a Christmas turkey. And he, when, he, when you shake hands with them, they swallow yours whole like this. And he says, hello. Good morning. And I say, yes, sir, it is. And that's how I answer, Butch. You better believe it is. Yes, sir, it is now. I'll be on my way. And I, and I, and I bid him farewell. He said, hug somebody. And we all sat in our seat. I know what we did. We stood up and we were like, well, hug somebody. That's, that's Old Testament. We translate that as shake hands. So that's what we did. The question is, did it translate to anything different? Well, that's why we're summarizing this. Brandon came back and he used, for several weeks, he, he used a passage from Matthew. And the passage from Matthew was, uh, you'll remember this, about salt and light. Right? He said, you are the salt of the earth, uh, but what good is salt if it loses its saltiness? Remember, he talked about that quite a bit, and every weekend he had the bungee cord, and he stretched out, and he taught us about this tension that we have you know, between usually two communities or two worlds. And he would illustrate that each week with something different. And, and so one time he came out and he talked to us about this, that we are accountable to treat love and truth very uniquely. 
We're accountable to treat love and truth very uniquely as the body of Christ. And there isn't tension between love and truth. There's tension between love and truth and what the world places such a high value on, autonomy. Autonomy, he defined as independence or freedom with your will or actions, or to be a sovereign. Independence or freedom with your will or actions, or to be a sovereign. Truth and love and the way the world sees autonomy are in tension against each other. They can't coexist. For me to say, I'm going to bend my knee and be a follower of Jesus Christ means that at the same time I cannot stand up from that and turn around and say, but my feelings and my hurts and my offenses and my opinions are the most important thing to have satisfied in my life. I can't do both at the same time. They can't coexist. Either he's my sovereign or I'm my sovereign it can't be both. It can't be both. So the biblical uh, view of that is, you know, we need to be together, as Jordan said, to be encouraged to stand in the gap, as Butch said, to hold tension on these two communities. It's all fitting together. And the next week, Brandon came back again. Same kind of passage from Matthew 5, salt, light. And he talked about the tension between lordship and autonomy. I don't think I have that one on the screen. I'm sorry. But it's this, that we are accountable for being under the lordship of Jesus. We're accountable for being under the lordship of Jesus. So again, he talks about autonomy. Then that is the the independence or freedom with our will or actions to be a sovereign And he said, tension exists because of our understanding of freedom. I'm free to do anything I want. And the biblical understanding of freedom, which is to be what God created me to be. And that's been wonderfully explained to us and demonstrated for us with those testimonies we've heard from the likes of Jason and Tanya and Shane. Right? They began to realize who God created them to be. And in that, they found incredible freedom, incredible blessing, and a full life. And I'll get to that a little bit more in detail in just a minute. So the next week, Brandon came out and he talked about the tension between lordship and autonomy again, but from a little different perspective. He talked about our personal responsibility to live with our redeemed senses. I don't know if you remember this. It was about two weeks ago, and he talked about you know, our senses, our, our sight, our hearing, our taste, our smell, and our touch. He said, we've got those, but they've been redeemed. And he said, we are accountable to create an environment where we use our senses, our redeemed senses, to build others up. And he used this illustration. He talked about being on a workout program. Maybe you remember this. And he, and he, and he talked about doing a bench press. He said, when you're doing a bench press, you're pushing the weight up, right? You're pushing the weight up. You're not moving. You're pushing the weight up, though. And he talked about the comparison of that to somebody that pushes themselves up while pushing others down. Do you remember that? He talked about that? Somebody who pushes themselves up while pushing others down. The world teaches us one. Push yourself up. 
let other people fare for themselves. I mean, that's the rally cry of full autonomy, right? Let everybody else fend for themselves. But Jesus teaches us another. Well, let me bring something up. Uh, hang with me. This one's going to stretch us. So this past uh, couple of weeks, Kanye West released an album called Jesus is King. You guys with me on this? I, I know what you're thinking, and it's okay. I've gone there myself. There's a whole lot going on. But he released this album called Jesus is King. And immediately, two things happened. One thing that happened was a community of artists started attacking him, you know, for trying to maybe um, exploit an audience for himself. Right? And that was other, you know, artists, secular artists, that that's not him, that's just about him. And then on the other hand was the church. You know what they said? They said a whole lot. He can't sing our music. No way. Uh-uh. No, that's not authentic. That's not genuine. Look, I'm going to be honest with you. Back in the 90s, a um, whole group of Dallas Cowboys came to Christ. Emmett Smith, Michael Irvin, some others. And it was kind of publicized a lot. And I remember being just like that. It's like, yeah, well, let's wait and see how authentic this is. Kanye releases this album, Jesus is King. And the church jumps all over that. You can't do that. There's no way you're authentic about that. Let me ask you a question. You think God cares what you think about that? Or what I think about that? Do you think God's ever going to ask us? Hey, before I do anything with this guy's life, you okay with it? It's never going to happen. It's never going to happen. Let me ask you this. Let's just say for a moment that maybe Kanye is thinking through as his family grows and he's got this wealth and he's around all this stuff he's around that he's thinking there's got to be something more in control of the universe than this. And maybe his background is, is as a Christian, and this is starting to flood back on him. And he goes, you know what? I'm going to make an album. It's got a, just, a, just gobs of, of Scripture references all throughout it that people are starting to look up. So here's the thing. In the last two weeks, searches, Google searches for Jesus as King has spiked. And the American Bible Society has decided to take advantage of people's interest in Kanye's music, Googling Jesus is King. And so uh, they created a website that you can go to on the American Bible Society website. And if you want one, you can just fill out a form uh, and they'll send you a free Bible. And... Their website is, I think it's abs.org slash Kanye. So they see this as an opportunity. Since people are searching, let's give it to them. Let's give it to them. Now listen, I'm going to tell you something. I don't know the guy. I probably will never know the guy. But here's what I know he doesn't need. He doesn't need me beating him down. The body of Christ doesn't need a Christian leader to pull anyone down. You know what the body of Christ needs? The body of Christ needs the body of Christ 
pushing anybody as far close to God as they want to get. That's what the body of Christ needs. Right? Okay, so we're accountable to that. We're accountable to that. I mean, if it's true, what does he need? That's what he needs from us, right? I mean, look, we do this in our city. We do this when we pass. Let me ask you a question. Would you, do, would you, make a, would you just kind of, I don't know, don't make a promise to me because that's not good. But whenever you pass a church, I don't care what color it is. I don't care what it is. If it's got a cross on it and it proclaims Jesus, would you, when you pass it, would you just pray for it? Just real quick. Father, I pray. You know, in fact, I pass a bunch of churches on my way to work. I don't know what they are because I'm not looking for a church, so I'm not looking at their names. But you know what they could use? They could use me praying for them. So can we just kind of get ourselves in that? When we drive by one, Father, I pray for the body that meets in that building, that they would be united, they would love each other, and they'd impact the world. I mean, at the worst, if you pass six of them, you're going to pray all the way to work. That'll keep you from texting. Right? Okay, so let's move on. So last week, Brandon talked about a healthy accountable to one another, healthy accountability to one another, a mutually, uh, mutually agreed upon goals to grow to spiritual maturity in order for us to be used by God. Now, I'm going to come back to this in just a minute, but right now, let's shift gears and talk about that other theme. And that other theme was that of the last several weeks, um, being the body. And we heard some incredible testimonies in my case, life-changing testimonies that I heard. And we heard those from people like Jason Beard. I see Jason is back there. I think I see Tanya uh, here and Shane. And again, for security reasons, those are not, uh, uh, he's not on the, on the screen because of the nature of his work. You heard this morning from Daphne. Jason Beard talked about his diving accident that, that left him a quadriplegic and, and that he, and he made... Such a powerful statement in that message that I want you to hear this. It has impacted me to this minute of my life. And I'm going to read it to you. I wrote it down word for word. I listened to his video, and I, listened, I wrote it down word for word for word. I was here that day, and it grabbed me then, and I wrote it down. And here's what he said. He said, it's clear to me my life's purpose is for this moment. As long as God gives me moments like this to share his word, I'll ride this wheelchair just as long as he needs me to. That made a dent in me. And that dent hadn't gone away. Jason, I've thought about it every single day since you said it. Shane came up and talked about his walk with a young man who came to Christ, who's a Muslim. And he said that after the young man declared himself a Christian, he told Shane that he was going to be disowned by his family, he was going to be fired from his job, and he would likely be exiled from his town or his community. And Shane asked him, is it worth it? And the young man replied to him, if Jesus is who he says he is, then it's worth it all. And that statement made an impact on me. And Shane's work made an impact on me. And then Tanya Wright, who gave this gripping testimony, we saw a video of it about how God used her in her grief when her husband suddenly died to use this community to grow a community through her salon and Christian social ministries. 
And she said in that video that she wanted God to use her experience so that her grief wouldn't be in vain. And at the very end, just before they fade to black, she makes this statement. She said, it blows me away that God would use someone like me. And I, and, I, and I watch that over and over and over again, and it hits me with a heaviness. Of course he does. I would ask the same of me. How in the world does he use someone like me? So in light of what we heard from Jason and Shane and Tanya, the, these people are standing in the gap, holding this tension, and they aren't paid professional Christians. They sit with us each and every week, and they serve as examples to us. And I want you to hear this from me. I'm honored to worship with them. They build me up. They strengthen me. So just as I did last time I was up here, I just want to show you a quick uh, scripture passage that I think sums this up pretty well. So, so follow me here. It's in Luke chapter 22. If you want to go to your Bibles, it's, it'll be on the screen as well, so you can believe me. It's Luke chapter 22. Really quickly, it's verses 31 and 32. So if you would, just um, see this. Jesus speaks these words. Now, let me tell you the context. The context is this is just after the Lord's Supper. Some gospels place this happening as they're making their way to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. But uh, in Luke, it says that this happened at the end of the Lord's Supper. And it's just before, um, it is just before Jesus spells out to Simon, or we know him as Peter, Jesus is going to spell out to him, you know, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter says, no, I never will. And Jesus says, whatever. I'm paraphrasing. But this is the, this passage, check it out. It says, Simon, Jesus says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you all. Now, it's plural. He's talking about all, all, all the apostles. Satan has asked to sift you all as wheat. But I have prayed for you, singular Simon, that your faith might not fail. And when you've turned back, strengthen your brothers. Now, let me say this about that. This passage is short, but it is packed from the first word to the last. So, so let's take that first sentence. First, Jesus calls Peter by his old name, Simon. Why is he calling by his old name, Simon? Because he's about to drift into his old life ways. Okay? He, Simon is about to push Jesus down to push himself up. When he denies even knowing who Jesus is, Simon's pushing Jesus down to push himself up, to look, make himself look better to the crowd who, who's going to crucify Christ. So he's going to weaken in pulling this tension between truth and love that Jesus is the Christ, as we saw a few minutes ago, and, and in the verses that follow where Jesus tells him, you're going to deny me. Do you see that? He weakened in that tension. He snapped back more toward that worldly view. All right? In fact, I want you to see this. Put the slide up uh, about the accountability stuff. By the time Peter's alarm clock rings the next morning, he violates every one of these. He violates every single one of these. So the next thing is Jesus says Simon twice. Simon, Simon, 
Very, very important. It's for emphasis and intensity, and it's to get his attention. There are only eight times in the entire Bible, from Genesis to genuine leather, there's only eight times where God says someone's name twice in a row. Now, let me mention to you who they are. They're familiar to you. The first one is Abraham. When Abraham has his dagger in his hand over his son Isaac, when he's about to slaughter him, and God yells, Abraham, Abraham. Probably didn't sound like that, but it's close. Why? Well, it's kind of important I stop you now. The next one was the boy on the altar. His name was, was Isaac, and he, he had a son named Jacob. And Jacob had a son named Joseph who was sold into slavery. Uh, he's the guy with many colors. You remember that? And and Jacob was certain he would go to his death without ever seeing his son again. And God tells him in a, in a vision, you're going to see your son again. He uses his name twice, Jacob, Jacob. Third person is Moses at the burning bush. Moses, Moses, right? Got our attention on that one. The fourth one is the prophet Samuel when he's a little boy and God is calling to him and he thinks it's, from another room, and he's being called into service uh, as a young boy. Martha, when she's running around worried about what she's doing, and she doesn't like Mary, Mary's over there messing with you, and I'm doing all the work. And Jesus says to her, Martha, Martha, Mary's chosen a better thing. Come hang out with me. Come be close to me. Right? Another time is when Jesus is hanging on the cross, and he calls out, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. Aramaic, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? The last time in the New Testament is when Paul is called. He was then called Saul, and he was blinded on the road to Damascus. And we all colored pictures of that when we were in Sunday school. And, and that was, uh, uh, he was called Saul, and Jesus called him twice. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And so here we have this time, Simon. Simon, Satan has asked to sift you to your core, to separate you into who you really are. He has stood in the heavens. He used the word Satan. The accuser is what that word means. The accuser. He has stood in the courtroom of God and he has told God, I am accusing this man of not loving you, of not following you, of not being loyal to you, and I will show you by night's end that this man doesn't even love you. He only follows you because you throw him breadcrumbs. And Jesus says, Satan, the accuser, has asked to sift you as wheat. But I, Simon, I have prayed for you. And that word, I have prayed for you, means, but I have asked for you. But I have asked for you. And the, and the tense, Greek is kind of cool. It's got a lot of weird little letters and meanings to it. The tense that this word is used in means it's a done deal. It has happened in the past. It ended and it is going to stay in that condition from here to eternity. It's a done deal. I have prayed for you that your faith might not fail. That word fail is the word from which we get our word eclipse. So there's two kinds of eclipses, lunar and solar. Both cases, same thing. It means something passes between us and the object, whether it's the moon or the sun. You guys know what I'm talking about, eclipse, right? Now, if an eclipse ever stops when it's dark, 
That's, a, that's the end for us, okay? If it ever gets there and it turns dark and we never see light again until we see like probably a big one for some of us, uh, for others. Uh, anyway, that's, gonna, that's the end of it. But what happens every time it gets dark in an eclipse? It moves and it gets bright again, right? So it never has any power over that light. And that's what he said. I've prayed for you. It's a done deal. I asked for you. You're mine. Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. He can sift you. He can try you. He can test you. He can bring you to your knees, but he cannot have you because I prayed for you. Now, this is going to be a bad night for you, Simon. Don't get me straight. Satan is running right at you, and he is a much better open field tackler than any of the gators were last night. And I'm one of them. Don't come at me, bro. I'm one. I, I, it was a bad night for me. It's going to be a bad night for you, Simon. You're going to hurt. You're going to fail. You're going to deny me. But your faith won't be eclipsed. There's going to be a morning. When you've returned, strengthen. That word is a word that means to prop something up, like the image I get is using a four by four or six by six to prop up a sagging porch roof, to shove something into place for support. And that's why he says, when you've returned, because you're going to return, strengthen my brothers. Here's Peter. Like I mentioned to you last time, this disciple that's had more conversation recorded with him and Jesus than any of the other apostles combined. And here he is saying, hey, look, this is going to be a horrible night for you. He's belligerent and impulsive and boisterous. And he's saying he's going to sift you to your very core. But I prayed for you. What's he saying? Most obviously he's saying, He's telling Peter, hey, I expect you when you come back to be accountable for your brothers. Support them. Strengthen them. Use your experiences to build others up. Unify them. We see throughout the rest of Scripture, Peter maturing into that understanding of what it means to be in unity with others in the church. Right? He's saying, this is, you're going to fail me tonight. You're going to fail me multiple times because Satan's coming right at you. But I've got you. I've got you. That eclipse will pass. The light will shine again on you. And when it does, come back and strengthen your brothers. What an amazing call to us. What an amazing call. And we also see that Jesus made himself accountable for Peter. And he made himself accountable for us. This last passage in Philippians 2, verses 5 through 8, reads this way. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, didn't consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. What's it say? Jesus didn't push everybody else down while he pushed himself up. Rather, verse 7, he made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself 
by becoming obedient, even death, even obedient to death on a cross. See, listen, that's ultimate accountability. Jesus made himself accountable for us. When, when we're in an accountability relationship with somebody, it, it is not about an inquisition of our iniquity. We don't meet with somebody and say, well, we're accountability partners. Tell me the biggest way you sin this week. And we tell them one of the ways, the smallest way. And they're like, yeah, brother, you need not do that. Call me next time before you do it. How good is that working out? It's never worked out too well. It's funny, that's what we say. Hey, will you hold me accountable for something that's so misunderstood? I can't hold you accountable for anything, but Jesus can. I can't. You, you, you can ask me, hey, Steve, will you hold me accountable to work out every day? Well, what if I say, yeah? Well, what am I going to do? Am I going to pour the protein shake down your throat at lunchtime and tell you you're full and, and you know, this will help? Am I going to put the weights on for you and hold your elbows up and make them go up and down and say, there you go. I was accountable for you today, so I made sure you worked out. I can't do that. I don't have the power to do that. You can't be accountable to me. But you can be accountable to Christ. You know what I can be? I can be accountable for you. And you know what that means? It means I encourage you. It means I strengthen you. It means I pray for you. It means I stand in the gap for you. I can be accountable for you by strengthening you. Just like we heard from these testimonies. Although you may be tried and failed and you will, it doesn't mean our accountability relationship is over. Just because you didn't work out, I don't go, well, that's it, breach a contract, you didn't do it, I'm done. I was tired of this anyway. I got tired of waking up early every day to call you to tell you to work out. No. When we fail, I'm still accountable for you. I still strengthen you, encourage you, pray for you. Right? That's exactly what we heard from Jason and Shane and Tanya. And we were built up by them. We were strengthened by them. When the body is being the body, accountable for each other, we see God doing amazing things through each other. So I want to leave you with these four tips. First of all, I want you to thank somebody for the impact that they made on you. Okay? Uh, I'm going to, here, I'll practice it right now right in front of you. All right? Jason, thank you. Thank you. Tanya, thank you. Thank you. Shane, I mean, th thank you for your willingness to cut through the nerves. I know what that's like <laughs> right now, twice today, to cut through the nerves and say the things you said to build us up and serve as an example. Secondly, introduce yourself to somebody you worship with. Uh, you know something? Jason, uh, my name's Steve Stewart. I don't know you, but I've sat two to three rows behind you for three years. And that's my loss, brother. I'm embarrassed to say that out loud, but it's the truth. The most I got to know you was the day you stood up here. And you know what I realized? I've been worshiping next to a phenomenal man for years, and it's my loss that I didn't know him. And I have a feeling most of us could say that in this room.
there's a couple that often sits in front of me and my wife, and they're a wonderful couple. I don't see them back there right now. But I told Butch about this, and every week Butch sees me. He said, did you introduce yourself to him? No, Get, please let go of me. <laughs> Thirdly, pray for somebody or with somebody that God tells you to. A friend of mine had a horrible week at work this week, and I felt God saying, pray with them, and I did. And it was awkward, and it was weird, and I'm not going to lie to you about that. I just said, hey, can I pray for you? And when I looked up when I was done, they had tears coming down their face. And the last thing I'll tell you is strengthen somebody. Encourage them, equip them, restore them, renew them, and extend generosity to them. Well, listen, uh, I'm, this is our, the end of our time together. I'm sorry it went just a little bit late. Um, I apologize for that. But we saw the baptistry water stirred, learned a great new song, uh, have prayed together today, have worshiped together. I hope today we have rehearsed a couple of things. I hope we've rehearsed how to take God's wisdom into the world. And I hope we've maybe rehearsed um, how we can be free with one another uh, to demonstrate God's wisdom to each other and to become more unified to each other, to be more accountable for each other. So if you would, uh, I'm going to bow my head. I'd invite you to bow your head to pray. And here's what I'd like to invite you to do. If uh, at the end of this message, if, if God is leading you in any way to grow closer to him, maybe he's called your name twice or more. And you want to take some next steps. Maybe that's starting your relationship with him. Or maybe it's responding to a new call to some kind of ministry. I'm going to be up here. Maybe some other prayer partners will be up here with me, I hope. And uh, we'll be up here for you. Just come up here and we would love to pray with you and begin that together. All right, let's bow our heads. Father, uh, I extend my hands to this body as part of them. You have used this body as much or more than any paid leader, you have used this body to encourage me, to admonish me, to instruct me, to move me and impact me. And, and I know that everyone in every seat can say the same thing. Father, thank you for what your body does for me. And I pray together that as a body, as we leave here today, we'll know that we are to keep tension into this community, accountable for one another to display God's wisdom to the world. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a wonderful Sunday.